We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. As we continue our series entitled The Least of These, really trying to put our faith into action or even examine ourselves to see whether or not we really are a Christian. Are you really a Christian? Or are you sure? Do you really know the Lord? And you're like, well, yeah, I go to church. It doesn't make you a Christian. Well, yeah, you know, I, I read the Bible. It doesn't make you a Christian. Yeah, you know, I, I pray. Now, you know, and again, those are things that we should be doing, but those are kind of like religious stuff that the Pharisees did. They did not know the Lord. And that's why it's cool every once in a while just to look at the scriptures and to find out well, what is God really looking for in our life? What is the fruit, the evidence of being a Christian? And passages like this, and of course there are many other passages to examine, they really challenge you uh, to really make sure that we live out our faith. And, uh, and here in Matthew, we're going through, it's a six-week series, we're going to have different guys coming up and sharing really, really cool things to be able to do. Uh, and so let's read the text again, and then we're going to focus on one today. Uh, look at verse 31. It says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or, or thirsty and give you drink? When did you, we see you a stranger and take you in? Or when did we see you sick or in prison or clothe you? When did we do all these things and come to you? And verse 40, And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to the one of the least of these my brethren, you did it to me. But then we read in verse 31, He will say to those who are on his left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not take me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. And then they will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? And then he will answer them, saying, Assuredly, and that's in, in the Greek, it's amen, amen. I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. And so, 
You know, hopefully you've been here the last couple of Thursdays. Uh, we're kind of building upon each study, and I, I don't want to necessarily go back and reiterate everything, but I will say that the context here is Jesus' return after the tribulation period. Notice again there in verse 31, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. And so Jesus is coming. It's after the tribulation period. We read his return in Revelation 19. It's just glorious. Every eye is going to see him. It's going to be so amazing. But then what he's going to do is he's going to judge the nations, the, the people that have survived the tribulation period, and he's going to separate the sheep from the goats. It says right there in verse 32, all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. And notice what he says in verse 34. The king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So he tells the sheep, they say, he says to them, Come, and then and to the goats, he says, depart. And what we find in looking at this and you know, just sharing like these are the works that you did and I want you to know that you are a sheep, you're going to enter into the kingdom of God, is what we find is the Lord kind of sharing the fact that when you're saved, you're going to have works. You know, not that the works save you, not that feeding the hungry will save you, or giving drink to the thirsty will save you, or, or taking in a stranger will save you, but those are things that saved people do. Those are things that saved people do. You know, we're saved by faith in Christ, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, but you know, we're, we're saved by, by grace alone, through faith alone, but... You know, and you guys have heard this a million and one times. You know, saving faith always produces spiritual behavior, especially, if I could say this, benevolent works. Especially benevolent works. And so we see the Father blesses the sheep, for they will inherit the kingdom, which consists primarily of experiencing the absolute blessing of Jesus' reign. Notice again there in verse 34, Come you blessed of my Father. Why are they blessed? Because they have this inheritance, it says right here. Inherit, I love that word. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Now if you know what happens next is they go into the thousand year reign of Christ and that's not even going to be forever and ever because then what's going to happen after the thousand year reign is there's a rebellion uh, Satan's released from the bottomless pit and then Jesus you know, defeats the rebels and then there's a new heaven and a new earth. So here you have the sheep going into the kingdom and you're like, wait a minute, time out. This isn't the everlasting kingdom yet. And the reason is, is because the kingdom is not necessarily a place. The kingdom consists of a king, Jesus, the king. And that's what's been prepared for us from the foundation of the world, to be with our king, to be with our God. And so they're, they're blessed, you guys. For us, that, that's really what heaven is, is all about. And so, you know, we've been going through this study, which is so important, and 
week one, we talked about feeding the hungry. And seriously, you know, when was the last time you fed the hungry? You really done, did that? Uh, we know uh, one billion people go to bed every single night hungry. Question, what have you done about it? When was the last time you went to bed hungry? One billion people are going to bed hungry every single night. We know that undernutrition contributes to 2.6 million deaths of children under five every year. You're like, well, I didn't know. I think you kind of knew. We kind of know. What are we doing about it? Jesus said if you're saved, it's about people. It's about benevolence. It's about feeding the hungry. It's about giving drink to the thirsty. We know today 783 million people do not have access to clean water. When we went to uh, Cambodia and then we went into Prevang, one of the poorest villages in the world, really, we saw their water and it was, it was filthy. You know, we take it for granted. You know, we have water. We can drink tap water. Rich taught us that last week. I don't know if you would do that, but I thought it was cool how he mentioned the fact that we would drink from the hose. How many of you guys did that? That's cool. Some of you young people, too. That surprises me. <laughs> Anyways, I, pro I bet you there's more vitamins. Um, <laughs> but, you know, all I know is that, you know, we take it for granted, but man, there's close to a billion people who don't have access to clean drinking water. And so, you know, we know that six to eight million people die every year from the consequences of disasters and water-related diseases. And so, you know, when I read this right here, I don't know about you, but it just, man, it gets to me. You know that I'm supposed to be feeding the hungry, and I and I'm I, I I'll be honest with you I grub, I eat so much I didn't eat as much as some of you like today I saw your plates, you guys were double you know <laughs> man, but man I eat a lot you eat a lot, and you know uh, and just all I know is that God brings this to our attention and so now we're supposed to feed somebody we're supposed to go find the homeless guy who has the the sign that says, you know, I need food, and you get, you know, get him a little something, or whatever. You send ten dollars to this Christian-based company that is giving water in Jesus' name, which, by the way, is important because we don't just give water; we give water in Jesus' name. Jesus said, if you give a little child a cup of water in His name, then you receive. A reward. You're not going to lose your reward. See, it's not just social works. It's not just benevolent works. Because some of the movie stars, they do all that. They don't know the Lord. They're doing it for really, in all, in all essence, the wrong reasons. I don't know all of their hearts, but I do know it's not for the glory of God. We do it for the glory of God, right? And we give water in Jesus' name. And we give food in Jesus' name. And these shoes, oh, thank you, Manny. Don't thank me. Don't thank the church. Thank Jesus. These are from Jesus. This is from Jesus. And so, you know, you, you look at these things, and, and my prayer is that, that we would really live out a real benevolent belief because there are so many people out there who are struggling. And this evening, we come now to the third thing that is mentioned in verse 35, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. 
You took me in. You see, the sheep were commended for taking in the stranger. And you know, later on, Jesus said in, in verse 30, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these my brethren, you did it to me. So you took in the stranger. They were commended for that. And, and Jesus said when they did that, they, they did it to him. But the goats were not commended. They were condemned. They were condemned for not taking in the stranger. And Jesus said when they snubbed the stranger, when they lacked heart for the homeless, when they had no heart for, for the homeless, then that meant that they had no heart for him, for Jesus. You see, here's something that's important in life. I will tell you this right now. It is so vital to see people the way that Jesus sees them. Amen? It's so vital to see them the way that Jesus sees them. But I also think that it's vital to see people as if that person was Christ. And that kind of changes it too. You know, you want to see them the way Jesus sees them, but you also want to see them as Jesus because what you do to them, Jesus said, you've done to me, and what you don't do for them, you have not done for Christ. Of course, it's not in a theological sense, but it's in a practical sense. And so much of life is like that. You know, you do to others as you would have them do to you, but do to others as you would do to Jesus. Imagine if you knew that was Jesus you know, wanting to stay at your house. Or that was Jesus that, 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 that needed some food or needed a, uh, some drink or needed some clothes. Oh, we would jump. And so what we see right here, it's a hard thing, and I will try to find a, a good balance, but and then the Lord says, I, I was a stranger, and you took me in. And for that reason... You know, enter into the joy of your Lord, right? And and so we are to take in strangers. And the word stranger is the Greek word xenos. It uh, refers to a foreigner, um, a stranger without knowledge of. You don't know them. Uh, you never, you know, even heard of them necessarily. Um, it's someone you don't know. And at the same time, it might simply be someone outside your circle. And so strangers are to be taken in. So Jesus said to the sheep in verse 35, you took me in. You see that right there? I was a stranger and you, you took me in. Now that's an interesting word. You would figure the word in is a simple word, but it's not a simple word. It's actually the Greek word uh, sunog. And it means to lead or gather together. It means to collect or convene, assemble or accompany together, to come together. In the Greek, it's the word sunagu, which is related to our word synagogue. Sunagu it mean, primarily means to gather. And so it's kind of like, and I, and I can't help but make that biblical point that we're going to see it, it, it has its, its, its application and sometimes, you know, you might, you might find that orphan that, that needs a home or maybe a widow or, or a nephew or someone that needs a home, a stranger, you know, Chuck Smith, 
you know, Lonnie Frisbee comes, you know, to his door one day. He doesn't have a home. And, and so I don't know how the conversation went with him and his wife, Kay, but they somehow had that conversation and they came to the decision as they were led by the Lord to have Lonnie Frisbee live with them. And that decision changed the world. Because then Lonnie started bringing all his hippie friends. Next thing you know, they're sleeping in the bathtub. You know, next thing you know, they're baptizing in the back pool in the backyard. Next thing you know, you have revival, the Jesus movement. And so, you know, you're like, well, what do you mean? You're telling me, man, you mean, you mean I got to have people move into my house? Well, for some of you here, no. For some of you here, yes. That doesn't help you, huh? <laughs> but like everything we always do here at the church, we point you to the Lord. You talk to the Lord about it. I can't tell you what to do. I can't. But for some, it means yes. And for some, it means no. I mean, here's this, this young man. His father was murdered and thrown off the, the freeway overpass. They couldn't even identify his body. His son didn't find out until three months later. He grew up in the projects in Memphis, um, Absolutely no hope in his life. In, in, in nine years, he went to 11 schools. And then one day, things began to happen in his life. And uh, I guess he was a big guy. Uh, think about this. 15 years old, 6 foot 2, 350 pounds. Big guy, right? And so anyways, the athletic director uh, saw him and he said, Hey, he needs help. Also, I also want him in my, my athletic department, right? <laughs> and so anyways, they started pulling some strings. Uh, they start, you know, kind of like just lobbying for him to get into the Christian school. They finally get him in. You know, next thing you know, he's staying with different families uh, over a four-month period until finally he kind of lands home in this one family that he said later made him feel loved. That he was staying in other people's places, but when they were there, they did not feel loved. He didn't feel loved. And so he went into this last house, and, and they just loved him, and they, and they took him in. And I think when you're going to take somebody in, you don't just say, hey, there's a roof over your head, and you know, there's a refrigerator right there, and you, know, you, know, you, just, you, you take them into your heart, not just your home. And so what ends up happening is they take him in, they encourage him, they help him with his schoolwork, and you know, the, for the first time in his life, he has a, his own bed because he grew up with 12 siblings. Imagine that. He never had a bed, right? And next thing you know, he goes to college, old Mississippi, and he goes and he's drafted in the first round, 23rd pick, Baltimore Ravens, becomes... Second rookie of the year. You guys probably saw the movie, right? Michael Orr, is that how you pronounce his last name? Most of the things in the movie were true, true, because I did all my research on it. A couple of things were different. But that, that, that he became a man because someone took him in. And all I, I can tell you is, like, I can't say, well, everybody takes somebody in, 
sometimes, and there's other principles in the Bible, you know, that you have to apply when you're making decisions like that. But I think that there probably needs to be more of that. Not only that, it's not just taking them in to live in your house. It's a stranger in the synagogue. And so, okay, you're not in my circle. Who cares? There is no circle. You come, and when you come into this church, when you come into any church, may the people take you in to their heart. May you always feel loved and welcomed. That's the synagogue. That's what it's supposed to be. And you go and you find somebody, and they're all by themselves, and you know, you just know, and you know, I gotta go, and I'm gonna go talk to them. I'm gonna go welcome them. We have our friends, thank God for that, you know, and we need friends. We need people that I remember we're a little tighter to and closer to, but don't neglect, you know, the strangers. People that in all reality go to church every single week or they go visiting churches looking for something. They don't even know what it is sometimes, but they're just so lonely. They're lonely in life. Because nobody has been obedient to the Holy Spirit who told them to take them in. Jesus said, when I was a stranger, you took me in. That just shows you're a Christian. And Jesus said, when I was a stranger, you didn't take me in. And that just shows you're not a Christian. Yeah, but Lord, I went to church. Yeah, but Lord, I said the prayer. Yeah, but Lord, I went through my habits and my routines. One day, many people are going to be surprised because they had a great religious life, but they didn't really know the Lord because they didn't do the benevolent behavior that really is the fruit of what a Christian is. And that's why it's so important for us to do this. And then, you know, your kids, they're learning the same thing. And you go home with your kids or you find friends or someone and you do these things with. Feed somebody. Go down, you know, the, to the Union Rescue Mission. You know, there was a time in my, my father's life because of his addiction to heroin, because of different things that were going on in his life, that he was homeless on Skid Row. But there was a ministry there, the Union Rescue Mission, that took him in. And now he knows the Lord. It was a series of events that brought him to Christ, but I thank God for that ministry. See, all I'm saying is that we really have to search our hearts. I think... I mean, you know, there's, surprises are cool, right? How many of you guys like surprises? Surprise me at my next birthday party, wife, please. I like surprises, right? <laughs> you know, but man, this is one place that you don't want to be surprised at. One day when you stand before the great white throne judgment because you didn't really know the Lord. And so hospitality is important. And of course we know the cultural context, the background of this book. You know, they didn't have hotels or motels or the inns there. The few that they had were notoriously evil. 
Often they were brothels or places where travelers were robbed or beaten. You know, when I think of hospitality and I think of this thing, you know what? I also think of the, the story in the book of Genesis. Go, go back there, if you would, to Genesis chapter 18. says in verse 1, Then the Lord appeared to him, that's Abraham, by the terebinth trees of Mamre, as he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. And so he, he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing by him. And when he saw them, he ran. This is just, to me, this is a trip, man. He ran from the tent door to meet them, bowed himself to the ground, and said, My Lord, if I have now found favor in your sight, do not pass on by your servant. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree and I will bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh your hearts. After that you may pass by inasmuch as you have come to your servant. How many of you guys, you got on a vacation, it's a long vacation and let's just say you're driving and so, you know, usually you have to take a potty break after a certain amount of time or whatever you know, it's a rest stop. You want to eat. You just kind of want to stretch your legs. You need, you need that rest. Well, imagine the same thing now, but not in a car. You're walking or whatever. Or maybe you're traveling by, by mule or something. That's kind of what, that's the way they saw it back then. These guys are there. Abraham doesn't know who it is. But he just says, he sees three men. And this heart of hospitality, this heart of taking in the stranger, was so deeply embedded in him that he he ran to them, he bows down to them, and he just says, hey, you know, I'm your servant. I love that. It's so cool, right? And so what ends up happening is he, he just says, hey, stay here. Let me <laughs> wash your feet again, you know. So what ends up happening is, is I'll, I'll bring you some food, and then you guys can take off. And they said, okay, verse 5, do as you have said. And so Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah and he said, quick woman, make some food, right? That's basically, no, he said quickly, make ready. And I love the fact that she was so submissive. The Bible says that in First Peter 3. Not like, what, what are you talking about? I got things to do. No, she's just like, yeah, okay, honey. Um, quickly make three measures of fine meal, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and he and he took a tender and good calf, gave it to a young man. He hastened to prepare it, so he took butter and milk and the calf, which he had prepared, and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree as they ate. And it's just like, almost like a waiter, like, hey, you guys need any salt? Or, you know, uh, <laughs> here, I'll refill your lemonades. And then they said to him, well, where is your, your wife, Sarah? And then he goes into the whole thing as far as where they, why they're there. But here's the thing, you know, he says, you're going to have a baby, you know. And then he talks about the fact that he is going to do some things in the next city. Now, Abraham didn't know who it was, but you guys know who it was, right? It says there in verse 1, it was the Lord. It was the Lord and two angels. 
And so when I see Jesus in, in Matthew talking about, hey, when you did it to the least of these, you've done it unto me. To me, I'm like, wow, that's so cool. That's what happened in Genesis. You know, the hospitality, and we're going to see the Greek word uh, philoxenia. It, it just means, you guys know the, the Greek word phileo? Anybody guys know phileo? What does it mean? Love. I love strangers. I love strangers. It might even be, be more accurate simply to say, I love everybody. I love everybody. But when I see this stranger come in, I mean, just that is so cool. And so someone comes knocking at your door, right? And you're like, don't answer. You know, don't answer. <laughs> Maybe they'll go away or whatever. Someone, every once in a while, they invite themselves over. You guys ever have friends like that do that? Hey, can I come over to your house? No. <laughs> it's just not convenient right now. But there are some people that they just love having company over and they love hosting people. And uh, to me, I think it's actually cool when someone invites themselves over my house. And so next thing you know, we're all scrambling, you know, to clean and... Uh, <laughs> No, it's usually pretty clean, but just straightening out a few things and putting a T-shirt on and stuff like that, you know. And um, but then it's like, okay, and then you're just, hey, can I get you? A, as soon as they walk in, hey, you can put your shoes right here, you know, if you want to. Not that, not that you're going to get our our carpet dirty. That's not why we want you to take off your shoes. Um, but you could just feel comfortable, you know, and t- you walk around in your barefoot or your socks uh, unless they smell really bad. Um, no, I'm just joking. Even if they did, you know, and here, let me get you, some, would you like some water and, you know, a cup of coffee or maybe we have some leftover abondagas or whatever it might be and you're just there. And that, that's the type of heart, I think, that, that we need to cultivate. And I, and I think it's really cool to see. But Jesus also told a parable. He says, and don't just invite those who are your friends or don't just invite those who will pay you back. Invite the one that, that is so poor or whatever, that the one that's so lonely, they'll, they'll never be able to pay you back. They probably wouldn't be invited anywhere else. The, the Lord, he wants us to cultivate that heart. You know, another illustration I think of is over in the book of Acts, chapter 16, if you turn there real quick. This is when uh, Paul and Silas, they were in uh, Philippi, and they're ministering there. And, and I love this, this section right here. Acts chapter 16. In verse, uh, I guess we could start in verse 13. And on the Sabbath day, they went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made and we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Uh, Now there, a certain woman named Lydia was there and she heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshiped God And the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she 
this, notice this, she begged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and what? Stay. So she persuaded us. How many of, you, how many of us would do that? We would beg them to go, please go. You know? <laughs> I am so tired. <laughs> you know what? When people are over my house and I'm tired, you know, I, tr- I have a cup of coffee, I walk around, um, but, but eventually I just say, you know what? You're welcome to stay as long as you want. I got to go to bed now, you know? <laughs> I'm just, no, I'm just joking. Um, <laughs> but, but you know what? Spend the night. That's fine. I don't, it doesn't bother us. But, you know, to me it's just so cool. She just begged them, you know, to stay with them. Of course, again, the context and the culture is a little different back then, especially the traveling Christians, and we'll see it later in Third John, you know, they, they needed that open door. They needed a place to stay. I remember when I did my first missions trip, you know, went to Missouri, and I stayed with a beautiful family. All the other people, they stayed like, I, I think it was like nice, rich people's houses. We stayed in a farm. We stayed in a farm. I tell you what, I'd rather stay in a farm than in a rich person's house, because we got to milk the cows, and and the, and they were they were like just so it was a, so cool, but see you have to make your home like that you have to make your home uh, available, like the Ten Boom family did during World War II. When um, you guys know what happened, right? The Nazis they were persecuting the Jews. And the Tanboon family, this is the thing, they loved the Lord, they were Christians, and they always had people at their house. Always had people at their house. They would always have well, open up their home. You know, and I love it when I when I see a home like that. And so what ended up happening was during this time when Jews were being persecuted, they felt it was their obligation and responsibility to harbor them there. And so for two years there were always four Jews and two um, from the Dutch rebellion, and so, or resistance, I should say. And so for two straight years, you know, they were there, and they were like this. And this is really the context here in Matthew 25. During the tribulation period when the Antichrist is persecuting the Jews, you know, there are going to be people during that time that are going to take them in. That's exactly the context. Now, we know the practical application is larger and broader than that, but that's exactly what ends up happening, right? And so that's what the the Ten Boon family did. And then one day uh, they had discovered their, uh, I guess, their operation. And so um, the Germans posted some soldiers. Uh, They made 30 arrests of people that were going to the home. They invaded the home. And it was kind of cool because um, what ended up happening was all the ten booms, there were six of them all together that got arrested. They were sent to concentration camps. They were sent to prison. The dad died ten days later. Um, and, but, but there were four Jews that they had like a secret wall. They were, they were hidden behind it. And for two days without water and just a little bit of food, they survived there. They were quiet in the dark but their life was saved. And then the Lord is just saying, that, that's, that's got to be our heart, you guys. You know, to have that heart to take in this stranger, to have that 
heart to do this unto the least of these. You know, God says, I want you to have a heart. Romans 12, 13, 7, 12, 13 says that it's given to hospitality. The Greek word given, it means you press after it. Um, it's to figuratively as one who's running in a race to reach a goal. And so you're, some people say even looking for the stranger, looking for the one who needs a place, especially if you have, you know, rooms available, so to speak. Um, I think of Katie and I think of the way that her and Joshua adopted Samuel. Now that's what I'm talking about. I'm saying pure and undefiled religion is this, not what the Pharisees do. Pure and undefiled religion is, you know, taking care of widows and orphans, taking them in, people who need a place. And we're supposed to be, it says, given to hospitality. And we're, we're looking for these opportunities. We are looking for those opportunities to love strangers. And again, I, and I'm talking to myself too, not just you, need to be so careful that I don't become a religious, self-centered Christian, a religious, self-centered Pharisee. Go looking for the hungry. Go looking for the thirsty. Go looking for the stranger or the naked or the one in prison or the one who's sick. You know, when talking about the, the, the women that, that would be honored by the church, in 1 Timothy 5.10, it speaks of her who is well reported for good works if she has brought up children and if she has lodged strangers. So one day someone comes up to the pastor and they say, hey, just in case, if you ever got somebody, like right now there's a missionary, his name is Obed. He got his passport from Mexico and he's staying in places wherever he can stay. Right now he's staying with Robert Montanez. Because Robert Montanez has always made his house available. He has that heart. But sometimes people will go up to the pastor or they'll go up to the leadership and they'll say, if there's ever a missionary or somebody that needs like to you know, stay for whatever, I just want you to know we have a room. And then when they present those opportunities like that, then God will bring somebody, okay? And you know what? You'll get blessed. You know, well, we got these musicians and they want to come and they want to play at, 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 at Calvary Chapel El Monte. They've heard of us. I'm just joking. <laughs> But we do get these requests and these pretty big bands. And we're like, okay, you know, and they just say, hey, all we need is a, um, you know, a love offering, uh, if you feed us some food and a place to stay. And so, you know, we'll put them up in the hotel over there in Arcadia or whatever. And I'm like thinking, man, you know, 300 bucks. Maybe someone here will do it for 200, you know what I'm saying? No, I'm just joking. You'll do it for free, right? Hey, Manny, if you ever want, you know, just in case, you know, I don't know, what's the, you know, some great band is in town. They can stay at my house. See, that's the kind of heart we need to have. Hebrews 13 says, do not forget to entertain strangers. And that doesn't mean you have to juggle for them or sing for them. The word is actually the same thing, hospitality, being hospitable to them. Because by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. And if you're going to do it, don't complain. That's what the Bible says in 1 Peter 4, 9. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Yeah, let them stay in my house. Look what they're doing. They're using up all my toilet paper, man. I've got to 
going through all this stuff. And, you know, so God says, don't, don't complain. Don't even do it if that's your heart. You know, for Third John, it says, Beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers who are born witness of your love before the church. If you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you will do well because they went forth for his name's sake, taking nothing from the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such that we may become fellow workers for the truth. You know, it's a qualification for overseers or elders or pastors according to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, to be hospitable, hospitality. Again, it comes from two Greek words that means to love strangers. And uh, this is someone who needs a place to stay, not just a lunch, but a lodging. They need a nice night. They need to spend the night. You know, and don't you find it ironic, the word hospital is in the word hospitality? Because just like Michael Orr, or maybe, you know, one day, you know, like maybe Samuel or others, where they were given a place where they would be loved, they will see it that way, that it was a hospital. It was a place that God healed me that God saved me, that God rescued me. You know, I, I know a lot of you here, you know, you, you may not have a, a, a big place or whatever, you know, but I, I would venture to say that sometimes we go over and we bless houses, you know, and, and sometimes it's because, okay, we want to cast out, you know, any evil presence, and that, and that is okay to do. But also, I, I think to sanctify that home, that this home is not my home. That this home or this apartment or this shack is for God. And he will do with it what he pleases. It's not my home. It's God's home, right? We mistakenly think of biblical hospitality as having friends over for a few hours, but it's obviously more than that if you want to go full bore. And we need to love them. Enough at times, sometimes to lodge them. You know, recently I, I met a lady. It, it was, uh, uh, she was a Christian lady. And I met her in a hospital where she was visiting her uncle who was very ill. And she told her uncle, you know, when you get better, I want you to come and live with me. I want to take care of you. Because uh, she knew that the place that he was presently living in was not good um, but what happened, her uncle, it was in God's will. Um, he didn't get better. His condition worsened, and in a matter of weeks, he died. But prior to his death, this lady, who, who was his niece, she went to go visit her uncle pretty much every single day. Every single day. And when I discovered this, I thought to myself, well, that's rather unique that a niece would go visit her uncle every day, although there are some relationships that are just like that, and it's beautiful, but it's not that common. And so um, in talking to her, however, I, I kind of find out a little more. When her uncle died, she shared with me that when she was young, she didn't know the Lord, and she didn't have a place to stay. And she said that her uncle opened up her home and let her stay with him. And he let her live there for two years. And those two years, she said, rescued her life. 
He loved her. And she, you know, she never forgot. His hospitality was the hospital that she needed to heal and mend and be rescued from a life of absolute ruin. You know, and it might be two days for you or it might be two years, uh, but God will show us, you guys. It might be someone living or staying with you or it might just be you reaching out to the stranger or the lonely person in the synagogue setting. But you take them in, not just your home and, and not just you know the church or the ministry. You know, you, you take them in. You take them into your heart. And who knows? And they, they might end up being like a professional football player, you know, making $9 million a year. And you get a free iPad or something. <laughs> Much more than that, you guys. And so let's pray. Lord, we thank you. I know, Lord, this can be a difficult passage for some that are, are literally facing things like this. And I don't want to be the one, Lord, to, to make the decision, but I do pray that if there is anyone here who is being prompted by the Holy Spirit, that they would not ignore you. That they would not be like the religious leaders we read about in the book of Acts chapter 7, stiff-necked and rebellious people who always resist the Holy Spirit that they would not, that we would not ever come to a place in our life where we are content with living a very nominal or casual or typical, quote, Christianity. There's no such thing. Lord, we have to be all in and real, sold out. And so give us wisdom, Lord. I, I pray give me wisdom. Because I really do pray that every single person here tonight really knows you. And if they don't, if there's anyone here tonight that doesn't, that tonight would be the night of salvation. And just in case, if you're here today and you don't know the Lord, you're not sure if you know the Lord, but you want to be sure. You want to turn from your sins and trust in Christ tonight who died for you on the cross, was put in a grave and rose again? Do you want all your sins forgiven? Just in case if you're here today and you want that in your life, right where you're at, I just want you to raise your hand and we're going to pray for you. I just want to give that opportunity. It might just be one person. You're, you're the one, man. You're the one that God is knocking on your heart. Thank you, Lord, for the hand that's gone up. Anyone else? It, it's a decision between you and the Lord, just you and God. And the devil, of course, would say, no, he's fighting it. But you know what? Maybe if your heart's beating and you're, you're feeling that tug, that's God's love. So anyone here, just raise your hand. I'm going to pray for you. The Bible says, as many as received him, 
to them. He gave the right to become children of God. You know, you've got to make that step. You've got to receive the Lord. To be his child, the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Thank you, Lord. Anyone else? Lord, I thank you so much for tonight, Lord, and just the seeds that can be scattered and watered and even just the harvest, Father, that I know you do, Lord, by your spirit, you save souls. And I just thank you for these hands that have gone up. Bless them, lavish them with an absolute, just complete assurance, Lord, knowing that, that they're your children, Lord, because of that step of faith. And they, they professed to receive Christ as Lord and Savior. And I pray, Lord, for all of us here. Lord, for those that maybe don't know you, Lord, have mercy on them, work in them. Let tonight, today, be the day of salvation. If there's anyone here even struggling as a Christian, Lord, encourage them tonight and help us, Lord, to know how to connect the dots. Help us to know that, Lord, we're supposed to be doers of your word and not hearers only. I pray in Jesus' name. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.